Good evening. It's good to see you guys tonight. Uh, I'm excited about what's ahead. Uh, tonight we jump into a new series. As you've heard, it's been coming, and there's been it's been a lot of time and energy kind of pouring into where we're headed and what we're going to be doing. And I'm excited to to see what God does. Um, you know, there's a whole lot that's planned out as far as what the next several weeks are going to look like in in this moment in the service. Um, but I'm just entrusting that what, what man has, through the Spirit, obviously, been putting together, that God is just going to do incredible things. Um, I just want to walk through where we're going and just give you an idea. We're, we're starting this series called Questioning the Church, uh, a biblical investigation. Basically, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be diving into the Bible to see what is the church supposed to be? What is the church supposed to do? I think many of you have uh, spent a lot of time in church or been around it, and maybe you don't even know the answer to that question, um, but let me tell you where we're going. Uh, the first, there's going to be four parts. The first question we're going to ask is what? And it's simply, what is the church? And we're going to investigate the meaning behind the church. Now, I won't spend a ton of time on this because we're going to begin doing this one tonight, but... You drive around North County, you drive around anywhere, and you see churches all over the place. You see buildings that have steeples and crosses, and um, you see names, you see the word church, you see all these different things that would denote a church, but what is it that makes it a church? Um, is it the building? Is it a certain location? Is it the people inside it? What, what is it that makes it a church? and maybe sets it apart from the one next door. Um, we're going to begin to dive into that a little bit tonight. The second question we're going to ask, we'll spend several weeks, uh, two or three weeks on what church, and then we'll go to who. Uh, who is the church? We're going to investigate the people of the church. Um, from the very beginning of time, you all are familiar with the story in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, where... God created everything, and he, he made Adam and Eve, but he, he said it's not good for man to be alone, and so he created them, and he brought them into relationship with each other, okay, and then sin came into the, 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 the world, and after that, what happens is God pursues them. They don't run after God. They're not like, God, we're sorry. They run from him. God's the one who runs after them, who pursues them in their sin, because of this, God loves people. God loves people. And not only that, when you read the Bible, you see that God has so much love for this idea of relationships. So the fact that the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they live in relationships they have for all time and they always will. So what, what does this deal with relationships have to do with, with the church? So we're going to investigate that. We're going to look into that. How, how, do, how, does, how do people relate with one another within the church? And we're going to look into things like, like community, um, God's design in that. We're going to look at things like, what about leadership? And what, what are the people, the leaders of a church supposed to look like? What about uh, gifting and service? And, and how do people relate with one another and within the church? We'll spend uh, a couple weeks on that. And then the third question we're going to ask is where? Where is the church? And we're going to investigate the, 
the place and the presence of the church. And here's what I mean by that. If you've watched the news recently, if you've read any newspapers recently, if you are alive, you know that the world is incredibly uh, broken and wicked and in need of, of something. Um, and the question becomes, what part do we play in bringing about restoration to the brokenness and the wickedness in the world? What part do we play? So we'll look at, like, what is the place of the church? What voice does the church have? And what is the presence? Like, where is the church in the midst of, of these things? So that's the third question. And the fourth question we're going to ask is why? Why the church? Investigating the purpose of the church. And this is going to take, go a little bit deeper than the, the meaning. And this is going to get very specific. And we're going to look into things like, um, what, what is the role of, of preaching and God's word in, in the context of church? We're going to look into, into things like um, these pictures of baptism, these pictures of the Lord's Supper, something we do all the time. Like, what part do these play? Um, the role of the church in, in equipping and training? What is the role of the church in worship? And what is worship? And beginning to define some different things. Um, and then one of the final things that I think we want to do is begin to define um, what's our benchmark. How do, how do we know if we're successful or not? Um, I think that's a great question to ask. And so we'll look at what, how does the Bible define success in a successful church? And so... Uh, I'm excited about walking through those because I think it's going to show some things for us um, and give us some parameters to, to begin to, to move forward with. I'm just excited about knowing the Lord in the midst of this. Let me pray and then we'll get started on what we have for tonight. Papa, I love you. And I'm so grateful for your power. I'm so grateful for your spirit that lives within me. Uh, God, that, that somehow takes the mess of a man that I am and enables me to stand up here and communicate your truth. Uh, God, I thank you for the church. I thank you for what you're about ready to do. Uh, God, part of me is worried because I know you're going to press on us in massive ways. And you're going to call us to levels of obedience that are going to require us to die. And that are going to require us to be really uncomfortable. And God, me first. And so, uh, God, I'm just glad that you're in this. And this isn't just our deal that we hope works well. But God, you are in this. And so, we're just going to run to you and say, God, uh, show us your face. Teach us tonight, God, as we explore uh, the meaning of your church. And, uh, God, meet with us in Christ's name. Amen. So many of you have been around church probably most of your life. Um, if you're anything like me, you were born in the church practically. Anytime the doors were open, you were there um, to the point where you're like, do we have to go, Mom? Do we have to go, Dad? I'm sick of going. We go all the time. Um, it's just kind of like this automatic thing. Oh, there's something going on at the church. Yeah, we're there. 
um, maybe that describes you. If that describes you, you have a lot of um, what I would call preferences, and you have probably a lot of input as to what you liked or didn't like, or um, what you think church should be and not be, and, and that's good. Um, maybe some of you, that's not quite your experience, and you maybe more recently um, in the, the church scene, and so some of this is a little bit newer, and so you're not really sure what it's supposed to look like, but whichever camp you fall in really doesn't matter. Um, as much as what matters is how do we begin to define what church is? How do we begin to define the, the, the meaning? What is the meaning of what we're doing here right now? Like, why do we come in these doors every week? I mean, every one of you that's, that I see, you're committed to this place. You're here every single week. Why? Well, what's, what's the point? Um, and do the things that you think and the things that you, even as you sit there and you say, well, I don't like how this is done or I don't like how that is done, are those informed by Scripture? And honestly, if they are, then you need to speak them. I'll just say that. I didn't even have that in my notes. If, if, if they're informed by Scripture and you're like, this isn't going down right because here's what it says, you need to speak that in love. For real, okay? Um, that's, that's crucial. Uh, Jeff uh, ruined it. I had this great thing all planned out. None of you knew the answer to this question. Um, as we begin to define the church, uh, I was going to begin to mislead you into thinking that the church was about this beautiful hexagon-shaped building and that any, any church in North County that isn't the shape of a hexagon was uh, really not a true church. Um, but, but Jeff, you know, you ruined it. Uh, darn it, everyone knows it's about the people now um, and not about uh, a hexagon building. Um, you're probably familiar with this famous passage in Matthew uh, where Jesus says this, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, it almost sounds like he's going to build this foundation, and he's going to build this massive church. Either that or he's going to lay Peter down and then start building on top of him, which is kind of a weird thought. But um, what's happening here? He uses this phrase, I'm going to build my church. If you look in the dictionary, you want to know what the dictionary definition of the church is? A building for public Christian worship. The dictionary defines the church as a building. It, uh, I probably missed it when it's because it didn't say hexagon. But uh, we'll, we'll be gracious. Um, if you think about what culture would even view a church, it, it would be more along the lines of, of, a, of a building, of a location, of some type of structure. Like we go there, and our, our minds automatically think about church as a building a lot of times. If, if we're not trained, if we're not careful to think that the church isn't a building, but it's the people. Okay, we all know this stupid little, uh, here's the church, here's the steeple, you know, open the doors, where are the people? And then we like, you know, switch it around, and here's the church, here's the people, open the doors, oh, there are the people. Um, and that really doesn't help us at all because it segregates the church and the people. Anyway, so don't use that as an example. That's my bad example of what a church is. If we look in the Bible, if we look up the word church uh, in English, the first place you'll find it is the passage right there. It's the first place in the Bible you will find the English word church. I promise, you can look it up, and if... 
you find it to be different. What did I say earlier? Tell me I've misstudied. Anyway, um, but even back in the Old Testament, we have comparable words to this word church. And I just want to show you a, a quick couple of examples and then begin to define out how do we know that the church is the people and not more of a building? And what does that mean that the church is the people and not a building? Let me give you a couple of examples from the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, verse 10, here, here's what it says. It says, How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my word so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, that they may teach their children so. Later on in Deuteronomy 21.12, it says, Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law. So you see in both of those verses this idea of gathering um, or assembling the people. That's this idea, um, this Hebrew word that's talking about a church. Uh, a, a gathering or assembly of people, you're probably more familiar if you've been around church with the word congregation, okay? You, you denote a congregation to a specific, like, oh, the congregation at this church. Um, that's this Old Testament more, more so idea of what the Bible's talking about when it uses this word church. Uh, at least that's the way it comes through in, in English. But I want to show you something really cool as I was studying this. Some of you have maybe heard the word the Greek word ekklesia. Now, I'm not a huge fan of like boring people with Greek. I just bore myself with it, but I'm going to, in effort to help be clear and not confuse you, I'm going to bore you with it. Um, so let me get technical just for a second. Um, this word ekklesia, uh, it's, it's where we get the word uh, ecclesiology, and ecclesiology is just, a, what is it like, the theological study of the church. Um, and so the word ecclesia, it's, it's the Greek word that's translated church, more or less. But it comes from two words. The first word that it comes from is this word ek that simply means from out of. Okay? And that's a, it's a preposition that denotes origin, like a starting place, like where the source is found. Okay? And the second part of the word, this is really cool, is the word kaleo, and it means to call. And when you marry those two words, when you bring those two words together, it's this idea of calling out. So, so what is the church? The church is the people of God. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, put it this way. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That, that's, that's this idea of the church, that, that the church is the, the people of God who've been called out. And that's the same thing when God pursued Adam and Eve in the garden. He was calling them back to relationship with himself. Uh, Wayne Grudem, a stud Bible thinker, that's how I'll describe him, uh, says this, the church is the community of all true believers for all time. All true believers for all time. Let me, I want to categorize a couple things. I think this will be helpful as we launch in. It's really important that we have a certain framework with which we think when we talk about church. Um, and so I just want to give you a couple categories uh, that I think will be helpful. Um, number one, when, when we talk about 
church, there's a couple different things we could mean. One of the things we can mean is, is the global church. Global or universal church. And that would simply be every, every believer across the globe. Or what we would call the worldwide church. So when we come in here and when we gather and we think about what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be a called out one, it's really important that, we, that we, our mind doesn't just land on this single place. Okay? But that we realize that there is a global church. The people of God across the world that profess the name of Jesus as their Savior. That's the, that's the worldwide church. Did you know that there's only one church? The church of Jesus Christ. One church. Now there's different expressions which we would call a local church. Okay? Um, a local church would be an individual expression of the belief community, which would be like North Church or you know, another church down the street. That would be a, a local church that has location. It's not just across the world all, but it's a, it specifies a certain congregation. Okay? And then there's two others that I think will be helpful as well that I want to throw at you. Um, the first one is the visible church. This is what we, obviously from the word, what we see. And this would be defined as every professing believer in Jesus in the world. So, and, and I use the word professing very carefully because what we see isn't always true. Okay? That there's people that will profess to be His, but we learn from reality, we learn from the Bible, that in the end we'll come to find out they never were. Okay? And so when we think about the church, local, global, there's this aspect of some aren't. Okay? There's, there's saints and sinners within every church. It's the illustration the Bible uses about separating the wheat from the chaff, okay? the, the sheep and the goats. The, in the end, it's this picture of like the end times um, where those that are truly his are known. Um, and that's where we get into the next one, which would be the, the invisible church. And the invisible church would be all true believers for all time. All true believers for all time. And the reason why this is really important is because there's an incredible number of believers that are in heaven right now. That when we worship God, like they're joining in with us. There's, there's believers that are yet to be born. Okay? You see how this, this becomes the invisible church where I can't see them? Um, so, and you know, so that also describes that in the end, the descriptions in Revelation that talk about that every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will, will exalt and worship this great God. Okay? That's what it's talking about. It's talking about those that are truly His. Now, our series is going to really focus on the local church. What, what is the local church supposed to be? Okay, that's really where we're going to zoom in and where we're going to focus. And, and we're, going to, we're going to ask some questions as we go through this. Okay? I don't know if you knew this. Uh, not only are you the church, but you, you're the church not just like from 5 to whatever, 6.15, 6.30 when I preach, okay? Um, you're, 
you're not just the church then. You're, you're always the church. You're the church 24-7. Okay, but, but what does that mean? Um, I want you to turn to Acts 2. I want to look at the passage Sue read to begin to get some parameters around church. There's Bibles over here if you guys need some. Acts chapter 2. If the church, if God's church is about the people, if it is defined by the people, what are those people supposed to be about? What are they supposed to do? Who are they supposed to be? That's the question that we want to begin to answer about the local church. I want to define the local church, and now I know all of you are in Acts 2, and we're not going to quite read it yet. I want to give you two quotes, uh, and then we'll look at Acts 2. Martin Luther said, uh, a church is a community holding common faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I think that's a great quote. Uh, I think it can be dangerous, though. Um, there's a, most of you have probably heard of Mark Driscoll, an incredible Christian and pastor uh, in Seattle, who's very well uh, a progressive thinker on board with, with where the church is going and what's happening within the church. And um, he, he gives some cautions. He has a book out called Vintage he gives some cautions about this emerging church idea and where church culture's headed that I think is, is very good. Um, here's what he says. Some emerging churches are nothing short of a complete redefinition of what constitutes a Christian church. If widely embraced, the postmodern world would have an entirely new definition of church, one in which church is understood as a community of Christians and non-Christians who love together without distinction, without leadership or discipline or doctrine, trying to emulate the character of Jesus without stressing the gospel requirements of repentance of sin and faith in Jesus that enables the life of Jesus to be lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what it's saying. It's saying that like a group of Christians say, well, we love Jesus, and what it, Jesus loved Christians, so we're going to hang out with a bunch of Christians, and we're going to hang out with a bunch of non-Christians, and we're just going to love really well. But we're not really going to have... Um, any authority. We're not really going to have anything that we specifically stand on. Um, there's not going to be any discipline or any correction. Um, that's the, oh, in large part where a lot of churches are heading. There, there's no standard. Um, it's just, we're just going to kind of be about what we're about, but we love Jesus, and we're going to strive to be like Jesus, although there's no parameters as to what it looks like. So even the authority of God's Word really doesn't bear weight on that type of church. So what, what in Acts 2 could we glean f- about this? Because the problem that Driscoll goes on to say is there's numerous Christians who aren't concerned about this at all. That so many in the emerging church culture are headed in this direction and Christians are like, okay, whatever, that's fine. But what kind of guidelines can we get? If you're familiar with, with Acts and with Acts 2, um, we have Jesus, uh, earlier on, what did he do? He, in Matthew, he gives this statement to Peter that you're going to be the crucial guy in what I'm moving forward with. You're going to be a crucial guy in me uh, leading forward with the church. And so uh, Jesus gives this apostolic assignment to Peter, and in Acts 2, it's really inaugurated. It's brought forth, okay? Um, he says, on this rock I will build my church. 
So in Acts 2, let me give you a little bit more background. Jesus has just ascended to heaven. Jesus made a specific statement that said, I cannot send the Holy Spirit unless I go. It's amazing how many times what the Bible says actually is the way life happens. Check that. Um, it's, I've never really found it to be wrong. Um, I can't send the Holy Spirit unless I go. And so he leaves, and what happens? The Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Peter's going to preach this first sermon after Jesus ascends to heaven. The sermon at Pentecost. It's a pretty uh, famous sermon. I'm sure you've probably read for? If not, we're going to look at it right now. Um, starting at verse 36, it says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Everything that Peter does earlier on, we won't take the time to read it, you can go back and I challenge you to read the entirety of Acts 2, but everything that Peter does earlier on in Acts 2 is all about bringing this picture of what these people just saw, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and many of them were the ones who were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He's using that image to to talk to them. And he's preaching to several different individuals and people groups, and he brings up this idea of, this Jesus you crucified. And they're like, in 37, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? Because they're like, you just killed Jesus. You just killed the Son of God who really was him. He rose from the dead. And he says in 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Let me stop there. Did you see, you see that language right there in that verse? It says, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. What is that? That's the church. The called out one. It's the same idea. The, the people of God that God calls to himself. Peter's laying out here some parameters for what church is. I don't think Acts 2 is the only place. I think it's a great model and has great implications. I don't think it includes everything that we see in the entirety of the New Testament. Okay, because right after Jesus, or throughout all of the Gospels, you have the life of Jesus lived out and the death, burial, and resurrection seen. And then from the point of Acts to the point of Jude, you have really what is a picture of our present situation. Okay, Revelation would be a picture of the end. Okay, and so from Acts to Jude, you have the explanation of all that what's happening is we're seeking to live out this mission that Jesus started in the Gospels. Okay? 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. I want to give you some parameters. Acts 2 talks about some specific things that these believers were devoted to that I believe bears weight on us today. Okay? And they're, for the most part, they'll be pretty clear, although I'm not just going to pull out the, the three things in verse 42 and be done. Um, 
there are some things that a church needs to stand on. Okay, and this isn't all of them, but I'm just going to throw out the ones that are in this passage. There are some things, if, if someone calls themselves a church, if a group of people says we're a church, and they don't stand on these things that we're going to look at, you need to be, put a big question mark on them. Okay, maybe more so in your head, and maybe have a loving conversation, because you say, I see this in the Bible, and I don't see it here. Let's talk on. Okay, um, there's some things that are important. Here's the first one. Gospel-centered preaching. Now, that sounds like a really, really cool uh, new church concept, does it not? I mean, it, it does. But what's Peter doing this whole time? I mean, if you glance back to the passage, you know, in starting at 22 down through 23, he's talking about this Jesus you delivered according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed him. He goes down later on after he quotes the Psalm of David, and he, the whole time he's talking about the cross, and he's preaching to them, and all of his claims come from the weight of what the cross means. That's something that's so neglected in churches, is preaching, is faithful, claim the gospel. And we're going to spend... Uh, probably an entire Sunday talking about why and what that means. Um, but w- one of the things that we'll be faithful to do here is preach the Word of God. Preach the Bible. And what happens when we do that is, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself down several weeks, but uh, hopefully you'll forget, not really. Um, what happens when we do that, when we preach the Bible, is that it's going to press on us, and it's going to show us ways that God designed life to function. I just said earlier, read the Bible. It's amazing how often what the Bible says is actually the way life works. In fact, that's always how I found it to be. Okay, and so we don't stand up here and give you like our great thoughts. We run to the scriptures and say, what does this say? And then kind of earlier when I prayed and I said, God, I'm really scared about what you're going to call us to is because as we go through this series, we're going to see things in our lives, hopefully always as we're preaching, things in our lives that aren't quite, I don't see it kind of the way it's described here. And then the question is, what do we do about that? Then we begin to say, okay, obedience here. That's why preaching is crucial. The second thing is gospel-centered loving relationships. It goes on in 42. And it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Okay, the apostles' teaching would be simply this. The apostles were the ones who walked Jesus, and so they're seeking to live out and teach the message of Christ, as well as even um, some of the different things that you would see in Old Testament. They're teaching these things to the people, to their devotion. They have something to stand on, namely the Word of God. Okay, and that in how they fellowship. You have a lot of churches that just love hanging out. Okay, I think this church loves hanging out. I think this church also loves what it means to hang out informed by the gospel. Okay, um, You have a lot of churches that just want to fellowship and want to eat and want to do all these different hip-hop like hangout times. And the problem is, is that it's not informed by 
the gospel. That there's not this idea of the way I relate with Sue, the way I relate with Vince, the way I relate with Rachel should be informed by what I see in the cross. You want to see how that works? Keep reading. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. That's how it works. So that this, this idea of they had all things in common, I don't think it means that like, they all love to ride camels together. I don't think it means that they had the same passion, obviously the same passion for Jesus, or like that they did the same hobbies as much as like, what's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. I think this is another thing I think that North Church does really well, is that we live open lives. And we say, man, you need a hand, you, you need this, I have that, you want to borrow this? I mean, just had all things in common. They're like, we're, we were purchased by the Lord. He, is, he called us out. And so now the way I live my life is based on the fact that God freely gave. So I'm not mine, and nothing I have is mine. So you need that's, that's what we see here. Gospel-centered, loving relationships, they loved really well. Really well. But notice the difference between the way Driscoll explained it in his, in his quote and the way we see here is their love was informed by something and stood on something. God's word, the gospel. Number three, baptism, the Lord's Supper. These are pictures that point to the gospel. Baptism being this thing that you're, you're dunked in water as if to signify the death of Jesus and as if to signify you're buried, but then you're raised again to point to the resurrection of Jesus. Um, we see this in this passage when it talks about they were baptized. It says, repent and believe the gospel. And, and it also says, repent and be baptized. Um, one of the problems that we run into with this passage is that in these days, when someone was saved, they were immediately dunked. Okay? Almost to the point where it almost looked like a part of their salvation. Okay? And so that, that's one of the things that we see here in this passage. And one of the reasons why a lot of people will claim baptism is a necessary component of salvation, well, a lot of the pictures that, that they see here is that, hey, in, in that culture, you're saved? Duncan, you're being baptized immediately. That's an, an incredible picture that points to the gospel. And the second one, Lord's Supper, that we do every single week because of this fact that it's just to what we're about. It reminds us. That's the, that's the point. Do this in remembrance of me. If there's a ch- that claims to be a gospel-centered, Bible-believing church, but they're not baptizing and they're not committing themselves to remembering through the Lord's Supper, then they're not obedient. Either that or they might not be successful in the sense of baptism. Successful 
maybe how the Bible defines it. We'll get to that later. The fourth thing is this. Pursuing relationship with God together. I love this one. I love this one. And I worded it that way very specifically. Because, you know, I, I see two things that I'm defining that with. Number one is if you look back in 42, not only did it say that they, the breaking of bread, it said the prayers. That's one of the ways they pursued relationship together. Prayer isn't this, God, I need this, which is a lot of the Americanized picture of prayer. Like, God, I'm struggling. Give me this. Prayer is an invitation to relationship with God. That's why we pray. Yeah, there are things we need, and he even calls us to, to call on him and ask for things. You have not because you do not ask, it says. Prayer is an invitation to relationship with him. They devoted themselves to that. They said, what's going on in your life? You're hurting? Let me pray with you. Let me pray for you. That was a big part of what they did and who they were. And then later on, if you look down in verse 47, start at 46 and says, And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. They worshipped together, praising God. This wasn't just this, we stand up and sing worship songs. That's why I struggle with this idea of that defining worship. Okay? That's why I struggle with the idea that we say Jeff is a worship leader. No, I'm a worship leader. Rick's a worship leader. Anyone who stands up here and leads you to worship him, opens the word, distributes communion, it's all worship. But um, here I am getting ahead. We're going to define that later as well. Um, Gratitude and joy. The basis of who these people were in the church in Acts they pursued God together. That was a heartbeat of what they did. It's incredibly hard and frustrating and saddening to me when I see Christians, and maybe I should say quote-unquote Christians, who think that they can pursue relationship with God apart from this. You don't know why you can't? It's because that's not how God designed it. Like when he calls us out and he calls us to himself, he calls us to do that in relationship. In a context of, of believers that are pursuing him together. And we're going to spend some time talking about that down the road as well. This idea of community. Actually, in week after next, we're going to spend time talking about that. Uh, I thought this was really cool. This was in your bulletin as well. as uh, It'll be up on the screen. Driscoll says, you can be baptized in the church, raised in the church, confirmed in the church, serve in the church, marry in the church, die in the church, and have your funeral in the church, and still wake up in hell if you're merely in the church and not in Christ. What, what's the point of this? We talk all the time here about, this isn't about some religious deed that you come here and you like check something off and that one day you'll get to tell God, I went to church. I mean, he puts it so well when he says, if you're not in Christ, that's, that's where it's at. Not just where it's at, but that's what it's about. It's not just about being in church, but that's a part of what it means to be in Christ. I want to... I wanna, 
wrap up with this and have this lead us into response and worship. It blows me away that God allows me to think thoughts about him. Like, I will never get over that. that. That should almost be a disgrace. Should it not? That I can think thoughts about God, that I can think thoughts towards God. Not only that, but that God has called me to himself. That he's called me to relationship with him. And that's what this is about. That we would be together, that we would be the church, that we would do church so that it points us to him, so that it points others to him. That's what this is about. And as we go through the weeks ahead and we talk more and more about church, we're going to see that over and over and over again, that God calls us into relationship with him. And the way that looks is in loving gospel-centered community that stands on the word of God and has that as our authority. Let's pray. God, I'm amazed at you. I'm amazed that, that God, you love us, that you want to have anything to do with us. I'll never get over that. That I can talk to you right now. Who am I that you care for me? That you are mindful of me? That you've called me out of darkness and into your marvelous light? God, who am I? Except chosen and saved by your grace. God, I thank you for the church the hope that is from my life because of what you've set up in your people, in your people doing life together and living life together and being in love with you in the context of loving community that's guided by your word. And so God, I, I pray that you would show us obedience in this. God, tonight, God, the weight of just trusting in the fact that you've, you've called us out, that we're yours, that should affect how we live and what we do and the passions that we embrace. God, we adore you. God, we want to worship you. We want to be who we are, yours. So God, thank you for entrusting so much to us. And God, you are faithful, and we worship you.